Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. My name is Mike Anderson, and to get things started, we would like to highlight our Shields Outdoors customer of the week. This week's winner is John Proctor of Dallas, Texas. We first got introduced to John after his Trophy Tuesday photo submission of a really great bass that actually ended up getting featured on our Shields Outdoors page. If you'd like to see the photo of that bass, you can head back to our recent posts and just look for the picture of a dude holding the giant bass. He, uh, he also recently submitted a photo for our upcoming spring fishing catalog photo contest. And if you'd like to submit a photo for a chance to be featured in our upcoming spring fishing catalog, all you have to do is head to the description of this podcast and there'll be a link there to enter your submission. Today we're going to mix things up a little bit. With us are two Shields Pro staff members. The first is Johnny Candle, who's been with us for quite some time now. He's an accomplished walleye tournament fisherman and also does a lot of product videos for us on our exclusive line of Shields Outfitters products. The second is the newest member to our Shields Pro Staff family, but he's been with us at Shields for quite some time now. His name is Pat Schlapper, and he's been working at the Eau Claire store for the past 16 years, but he's taken a little break now with some great success in bass fishing tournaments. So we'll start things off here with, uh, with Johnny Candle. Can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your relationship with Shields? Yeah, my name's Johnny Candle. I'm from Devil's Lake, North Dakota, currently born and raised in Northeast Ohio. And it's a really, really long story of how I got from one place to the other. So we'll save that for a different day. I started working with Shields in 2001. So uh, quite a few years back, uh, started through the Bismarck store with a good friend to most of us, Dennis Benzi, the store leader out there, and uh, worked my way through the ranks and have enjoyed an incredible relationship with Shields, uh, promoting the stores and the products, but most of all, promoting the sport of fishing to those out there uh, that enjoy to do it. Had a pretty good tournament career so far. Uh, you can always do better. You don't win every tournament that you fish, and I'm sure Pat will attest to that. Uh, so you can always do better, but I'm pretty happy with how the last 27 years of tournament angling have gone. I run a guide service as well and can stay more than busy enough talking about fishing in the off season. So it's uh, it's fun to be here today and I'm looking forward to sharing some war stories. We'll call them with, uh, with our good friend, Pat later on. That's perfect. Uh, Pat, welcome. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Can you uh, introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your background. <clears throat> yeah, my name is Pat Schlopper. Uh, I live in Oliva, Wisconsin. So right by Eau Claire. Um, I started with Shields in 2004 as a part-time salesperson. Um, I graduated college in 2006 from University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire with a teaching degree. And uh, that's kind of where my life made an interesting turn. I had no intentions of staying with Shields full-time. 
But at that time, the teaching market in Wisconsin was really competitive. And I tried for a year and a half to get a full-time teaching job and didn't get one. And at the time, uh, Todd Anderson, who is now the president of the company, he offered me a full-time job as the fishing manager because I had been helping him out with some bass products, you know, in, in the Eau Claire store. Um, because at the time Shields didn't have a very large presence in the bass market. It was mainly walleye. So he offered me, you know, that opportunity and I took it. And honestly, at that point, I stopped even thinking about teaching. I just concentrated. I mean, I love that. I, I ended up being the fishing manager and really helped to build that store up. Um, we have a great team there. And uh, that's what I did up until uh, this this spring. I decided I really wanted to go try to make it in the bass fishing world and qualify for the Bassmaster Elite Series. And and I made it happen this year. So now my focus has pretty much completely shifted to um, competing at the highest level you can get to in the bass world on the Bassmaster Elite Series. So that's kind of in a nutshell my my background. Yeah, that's very cool. It's uh, it's interesting how how a lot of people here at Shields they just kind of you know get started as a part time job and then they're you know they just get hooked. That's what happens, and I you know I I I've always enjoyed working there, but you know at at the time you're in college, you're spending all this money to do what you're you know supposed to do or whatever, and and I am so glad that I did not that I went on the path that I did with Shields it's just been it's it's been a great career and is it's just it's been nothing but good to me can you can you tell us a little bit about how your tournament game started with this with this win in November what what happened what what did you have to do to even get to that point and and what's going on now so with this particular year um I mean, that tournament that I won was a culmination of basically two years of trying to get to that tournament, starting with a state tournament in Wisconsin, qualifying for the state team, going from the state team to a regional tournament, uh, winning the regional tournament to qualify for the national tournament. And then that national tournament, it's all about getting in the top three is the one of the goals, but winning it for me personally was the biggest goal because with that win, that's what gave me the birth to the, the Bassmaster elite series. The, the top three go to the Bassmaster classic, which is a huge deal too. I mean, that's the biggest tournament in the world. Um, but one person from the entire bass nation, which is thousands and thousands of people. I mean, one person gets to go represent the bass nation at the Bassmaster elite series. So I'm that one guy that, jumped through all the hoops, did all the things I needed to do and performed well enough to, to make it happen. So I'm really fortunate that it worked out that way for me. Yeah, that's really incredible. And just absolute congratulations to that. That's, that's super cool. Thank you. Can you, uh, can you walk us through your strategy? What happened that day? How you, how you came up with such a, with such a great bag? Well, so it's a three day tournament. And the way that these tournaments are set up is there's a uh, there's a like a almost a month cutoff where you can't go practice for this tournament. So 
And honestly, for me, I had been fishing, you know, the Bassmaster Opens is the other big series. That's basically the AAA level to get to the highest level, to the elite series. I had been fishing that all year and been doing really well on that. And I was in position to make the elite series by doing what I was doing in the Opens. And I honestly didn't put a whole lot of emphasis on this nation tournament because I just was so focused on doing well in the Opens. And one of my buddies who had fished this tournament told me, he's like, dude, you got to go win this thing because then you, you are, you go to the elites, you go to the classic, there's only 50 people that are there. And so I was like, yeah, I should probably maybe go try to put some work in. So I went in pre-practice a month before the tournament for four days, just to get around the lake. Pickwick's a big lake. So try to get around the lake, learn some stuff. I honestly didn't catch hardly any fish. Um, you know, it was a month before, so it was a lot different. But I had developed a pretty good strategy of if I was going to win the tournament, I felt like I was going to do it with smallmouth fish and heavy current because I figured a lot of guys would not be as familiar with doing that or comfortable doing that. Um, I figured most of the people would fish largemouth, which is what happened. And I was one of, well, there was some other smallmouth weighed in, but I was pretty much the only person that weighed mainly smallmouth all three days i did have some largemouth and spotted bass mixed in but 80 percent of what i weighed was was smallmouth and uh i was in sixth place after the first day second place after the second day and then the third day i like had a dream day and just weighed a gigantic bag of fish and won the tournament by like eight pounds so it was uh it was a lot of uh, good decisions that came into that happening the way it did. Yeah, that's very cool. I bet you turned a few heads at the uh, at the weigh-in when you're bringing in all these smallmouth and people are targeting largemouth. Well, you know, and it's Pickwick is known for. There's a lot of big smallmouth in there, but they're you know notorious for being tough to catch certain times of the year. And when we were there, it was kind of that transition time where they weren't quite on the fall feed yet and i think i know a lot of people tried to catch them like in the areas that i was but it was a really specific thing and i think you know they just it was i mean even the, the spot i caught on the last day i had never caught a fish there before i got lucky that i stumbled onto it it was close to another spot i was fishing and i just made a cast and caught one and then i sat there and caught them for three hours and I had never caught them. I'd never fished it before that day. So that's how fickle it is. I mean, you can make a cast out in that heavy current and Johnny will know because, you know, he fished, I'm sure he's fished a lot of current. I mean, you can miss a cast by a foot and you won't get bit. So a lot of those people, I think, didn't want to deal with that current and they just went to the grass flats and fished largemouth. And I mean, that last day when we took off for the, you know, there was 12 of us fishing you come out of this marina, and if you go to the right, that goes down to the lake. If you go to the left, that goes up to the dam. And I was the only one that went left. Everybody else went right. And there was there was nobody around me. They were mm -hmm. all fighting over fish down there, and I had the whole area to myself. Nice. Well, sometimes you just need to think outside of the box to have success, and, you know, you obviously did it that day. Yeah, it worked out. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So, um, you know, before we started this recording, uh, Johnny came on and he had a big notepad of all these questions. So, Johnny, <laughs> I think you need to get back on here and, and start asking some of those you have jotted down on your notepad. 
Well, first thing I'd like to do is take it back to qualifying. And uh, I might be a walleye guy at heart, and I'm a walleye guy for a living. But, Pat, I'd be lying if, if you're not living all of our dreams right now. Uh, ever since you're a little kid, I don't care where you grew up, the tournament that's on TV from the time you're three years old till today is the Bassmaster Classic. And congratulations mm -hmm. to you for getting there. If I'm not mistaken, uh, it's been almost three decades now since the person or a, a person from the nation won the classic. Is that was Brian Kirchel? Brian Kirchel. Yep. 1994. That's the, uh, he's the only one to ever, there's been a couple been close, um, but he's the only one to ever do it. Um, so yeah, I got this trophy behind me with his face on it. So hopefully I can, uh, you know, and he passed away the year after it happened, so he didn't right. actually get to defend his, his championship. But uh, um, yeah, that's that's that trophy is really cool to me because I mean, not many people get to have it, and it's I lo I've known about that story for forever, and to have that trophy sitting in my house is it's a huge deal to me. Right, and if that's not the definition of the American dream, I don't know what is. Right, you can start from the humblest beginnings, uh, and and Pat, I I know your story. I've known you for a long time, and and I was there with you, man. I started tournament fishing at age 23. Uh, I graduated college on May 17th and fished my first pro tournament on May 23rd. Uh, I had a truck and a boat that if you added it together was worth about $4,500. And I know <laughs> you started tournament fishing, maybe not at this level, but when you started tournament fishing, you probably started the same way I did, right? You, you take every nickel you've got and it might not be the prettiest truck and it might not be the prettiest boat, but you jumped in and you earned your way through and you worked your way up. And now here you are knocking on the door to go to the Bassmaster Classic, uh, a a ticket to the BASS Elite Series, which is arguably the 100 best bass anglers on the planet, and now you're one of them. Uh, so that's, again, hats off, man. I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm making too big a deal about it, but it is a big deal. It's, a, it's an incredibly big deal. And like I said, you're, I'm now living a little bit through you because how cool would it be for any tournament angler to walk across those stages next to the guys that you're going to be next to, right? We can name names all day long of guys that have mm -hmm. won that that big trophy. And, man, I'm pulling for you to hold that big trophy up. I, I would love to see a picture of you with all that confetti and fireworks in every Shield store this time next year, man. <laughs> oh, I'm, that would that would I'm, be so I'm wonderful to you, see. <laughs> I am cheering for you big time. Oh, I'm, I'm, I can tell you one thing. No one's going to work harder at it than me. So to win it. A lot of things have to go right to win any tournament at, at well, really any tournament at any level, but at that level, um, you you have to stuff has to go right. So um, it, if I won that, I I don't know what would happen, but I would <laughs> I would enjoy it. You'd probably I see a picture or two of yourself at Shields. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. Can, yeah, maybe. Can, maybe they'd yeah, you. maybe they'd put a super shot up of me then. Yeah, I'd say there's a pretty good chance. I have a little bit of insight as to what will happen. Uh, I'm not going to put the, the National Walleye Championship win on the level with the Bassmaster Classic win, but in my industry, that's all there is to compare. And, and I did get, I did have some dream days. I wrote that down when you 
when you mentioned that the dream day and you're absolutely right it takes a dream day or two to win a tournament and i had a couple of those and you want to talk about life changing when your resume goes from pat schlapper elite series qualifier to pat schlapper bass master classic champion uh it's kind of like watching the Super Bowl and the quarterback yelling, I'm going to Disney World, man, because <laughs> you're, you're going to go on a ride if that happens to you that will be like none other in your life. It's absolutely incredible. So, uh, But I wanted to mention, talk about the dream day, right? Uh, I know you fished hundreds and hundreds of tournaments, and you've had more than one dream day. And it does take a little bit of luck, if we want to call it that, to have a dream day. But explain to people the preparation you go through to be ready for the dream day. And what I mean by that, Pat, is we can never decide ourselves when that dream day will happen. But I know you think, like I think, I'm sure you do, that I will be ready for when I make that first cast on that current seam and back it up with a second cast and a third cast. I don't think people understand that we get ready as tournament anglers months in advance for mm -hmm. that dream day because yep. when it does happen, we can't afford for a knot to slip or a reel to quit working, right? So explain to people how, yes, they watch you tournament fish for three days, but walk us through when does it start and all, I mean, you don't have to get super specific, but the details that you pay attention to so when that dream day happens, you can capitalize on it. Well, and the one thing you said, too, that a lot of people don't realize that don't do it is you don't know when that day is going to happen. So you have to prepare for every day like it's going to happen. So it comes down. I mean, I'm meticulous about changing my line, making sure there's not a nick in my guide on my rod, making sure everything is in pristine condition you know my hooks are sharp um my you know the swim baits i'm throwing are running true all that stuff comes into play before you even start the day because like you said when you get that bite you can't have your line fail you can't have it could happen because you can't 100 percent um eliminate stuff like that from happening but Basically, our jobs as tournament fishermen is to make sure to reduce that chance as much as possible. Um, changing hooks on crankbaits, um, making sure you're organized and efficient in the boat, making sure your boat is in all working condition, maintaining that properly. Uh, there's just so many little things that until you do it, you don't know, you don't understand that. And even when you start to tournament fish, you don't. That's stuff you learn along the way. Um, it's not something you know how to do all that stuff. And you learn about that after some of them mistakes happen. And then now, I mean, if you looked at the way I take care of my tackle and organize things in the fishing world anyways, um, it's it's a lot of, I mean, I started tournament fishing in seventh grade. So it's however many years that is a lot. I'm 38 now. So, I mean, it's that many years of learning how to prepare for when that day happens and uh and i like i've had a lot of really good days i've been fortunate to win a lot of tournaments but um that particular day was obviously the most special so yeah all yeah, the preparation I, I, paid off <laughs> i look back on my career and and 
again, the only way to learn those lessons is the hard way. I, I don't mm -hmm. care how many times that, Pat, you would sit down with a group of high school anglers and explain to them, you've got to do this, you have to do that. The only way they're going to learn is to get stung. And I got to yeah. wonder how many dream days in my career or your career or pick any other tournament anglers career we missed out on because we weren't 100% ready for that day to happen. And like you said, you don't know when it's going to happen. I, I can tell you right now, some of my best tournament finishes when I left in the morning, I was telling myself without letting anyone around me know, boy, I really hope I catch one today. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, you're going, where did that come from? And thank God I was ready for it, right? Because yeah. I didn't expect this to happen, but the jig landed in the right spot or the crankbait went by the right tree. Or, and the next thing you know, it all comes together and you're having that dream day. And man, like you said, a $6 spool of line somewhere in my career, I guarantee you cost me tens of thousands of dollars because I didn't take the time to be ready because I wasn't certain I was going to have that day. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's a big part of it. And on that particular tournament, it wasn't like I was catching a lot of fish. You know, the first day I caught seven keepers. The second day, I think I caught eight. So it wasn't like, you know, you had to capitalize on the bites that you got. You know, the last day I caught a lot of them, but um, I wouldn't have been at that last day if I didn't catch those ones the first day. So it's it's you know there's so many things that go into it that have to go right to to get into that position to where that dream day when it happens it it pays off did you have any change in strategies between day two and day three to really have that success or did just the stars align for you no i mean basically what, what i had found with them smallmouth is i needed to catch them in the first hour so each day of the tournament i would start on smallmouth and then they would kind of fizzle out. And the first day, I think I caught four four decent smallmouth, and then I ended up catching two, two or three large, three keeper largemouth, two really nice ones. Um, and then the second day, I started on the one spot, and I caught three keeper smallies. And then I ended up catching, I think, four keeper large or three keeper largemouth and one really nice spotted bass. So I had worked largemouth into my plan, but. For me to win, I had to catch them smallmouth. That was mm -hmm. that was the deal. And the, the, the third day when I went out, um, I was six ounces off the lead. And in my mind, I, I was thinking at first I was not going to be conservative, but I had kind of figured something out the second day for largemouth in a new area, and I was pretty confident I could catch some in there. So... The one side of my brain said, go up, fish them smallmouth for an hour, get what you can get, and then go fish largemouth the rest of the day. And then the other side of me said, well, you're in position to win this tournament. And if you're going to win this tournament, then you, you're going to have to fish smallmouth. You're going to have to fish smallmouth for a while and try to get them to go. So that's what I told myself. I'm going to fish smallmouth till 10 o'clock. And after 10 o'clock, then I'll go fish them largemouth if I have to. So I went fished my first spot, caught three keepers, no big ones. And uh, at that point, the other two days, I would have went largemouth fishing. But I said, I'm going to go over to this other bank where I'd been fishing, and the current was so heavy that I had to start up above where I had been fishing. And I, so I started about 75 yards above it, and as 
as I was drifting back, I caught a little one, a little smallmouth. Hit, marked a waypoint on my locator. Fished the spot I was going to fish. Didn't catch him. I'm like, I better go back up there. Went up there, and then I saw what was going on, and I, I just caught, I just caught them, big ones. I mean, I had, you know, 21 pounds in the first two and a half hours of the tournament, and at that point you know, the biggest bag of the tournament was 16 pounds, I think. So, I mean, I had, when it was happening, I knew I'm like, I'm pro I think I'm going to win this tournament because of what I figured out, I knew those fish were untouched and they were big ones. And I never lost one in that current. I never missed one. I boated everything that bit. Um, and it, it paid off big time. Whereas if I would have, chose the conservative strategy i'm not saying i wouldn't have done well because i could have caught them largemouth but i couldn't have caught 23 pounds of largemouth there's no way mm -hmm. you know and i had that in smallmouth and i went in an hour early too i didn't i quit fishing an hour early and just went and sat in the marina so that was the shift in strategy i guess was going going for the glory of winning the tournament by risking potentially not bringing in a limit of fish by sticking with them smallmouth for a long time, but it worked out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go big or go home. <laughs> I yeah. Agree. I mean, I, the top three is good. Like if I had just made the classic, I'd have been that, that's cool, you know, but to win it. And I mean, to get in position to win a tournament like that, you know, really to get in position to win any multi-day tournament is just not easy to get in that position. And I'm the type of person where if I get in that position, I usually don't fish conservatively. I mean, I want to win. I like to win. Mm -hmm. So c can you talk to us a little bit about, like, what the fish were doing down there? Like, what sort of structure they were relating to? How you knew those were the ones that you were going to target? Well, basically, if you could... It, what I had figured out with them smallmouth is if I could find a cast to make there was there was not one fish there was a lot of them so whereas with the largemouth it was you'd get you'd find an area but you'd have to fish around to kind of catch one here and there whereas with them smallmouth it was a specific cast and when they were there there was i mean you'd catch them every cast for the first two days for about you know 45 minutes i would catch them um and that was all current related. So it happens when that current is flowing super heavy, really with any kind of fish, but that'll concentrate them. You know, there'll only be so many places where they can be in the current, but out of the current enough where they don't have to work as hard. So I, I got fortunate and found really three, three spots that were the perfect setup where the current, there was heavy current, but it was, not heavy enough where I couldn't fish it, you know, and it was light enough where them fish would stay positioned. So, um, it was, that was what it was all about was the current and having a little bit of a break or current seam for them to position to feed. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we're not easy to find those spots were not easy to find at all. So, um, that's what it was all about was current. Okay. How do you determine if, uh, if a particular current is too strong to fish versus just right, you know, finding well, that. I wouldn't spot. say there's anything that's ever too strong to fish. Um, 
but the stronger it is, I feel like the more concentrated they'll be and the more important more important a, a, some sort of current break is, whether it's a little point or you know a, a rock under the water that you don't know is there, um, something to create a little bit of slack water for them fish to sit in. The only way to, the only way to really find that out is to fish, to fish the stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. you can't, in that particular scenario, I wasn't fishing that deep. I was only fishing maybe three to seven foot. And in that current is really, I'm a big electronics guy. Like I like to, I spend a lot of time graphing stuff. That's one of my strengths. But in that particular scenario, it was, it was almost impossible to just graph around because that current was so heavy. You couldn't, you couldn't do it. You couldn't get a good image because going, trying to go up river. I mean, I, mean, I don't know how heavy the flow is, but it was the heaviest flow that I've ever fished. <laughs> and you just can't graph when it's like that. So it all comes down to just, for me, it started, you know, I used to trout fish a lot in streams. And when you do that, you start to see what type of current related structures or points or whatever that they, the fish position on. So that's where it started for me. And then I fish a lot on the Mississippi river where it's all about current too. So it's really hard to explain exactly what to look for because it could be so many different things that you know, you'd be driving like that spot where I caught them. You, it looked like nothing. It, it, there was no point there. I mean, there was something underwater to create a little bit of a seam, but it was really hard to see with a naked eye. I mean, I missed it in four days of practice. I didn't see it until that last day. So that's how difficult it is to read that current, understand what's going on. It's just, it's hard to explain until you actually do it. But once you find it, Pat, it, they become so easy to see the next one. Would you not agree? It's I agree. I, yeah. Same thing with a lot of the river tournaments I fish. Uh, walleye anglers love the Mississippi River, the Detroit River, you name it. And you pull your hair out literally for three or four days trying to figure out what am I looking for. And when you find the first spot that the fish are in, all of a sudden a light bulb goes off. And when you see the next one, you can mm -hmm. almost call your shots, right? It's like, oh my goodness. Like you said, how did I miss that? It's so yeah. obvious now, yeah. but mm -hmm. four days ago, you drove right by it and didn't think it was good enough to fish, right? And Yeah, because, you know, a lot of times when you start, you're looking at the big picture. You're looking at the whole river, and you're like, oh my God, I don't know what's what. And then I'll, then after a few days, like Johnny's saying, you start to see, okay, now I'm starting to see them little subtleties that will and once again, like people ask me all the time, well, what were them fish on that you caught? I'm like, I don't know what it was. All I knew is I would cast at a little spot I picked out on the bank and let my swim bait swing through there. And when I felt that you could feel that bait when it was drifting, you could feel it hit the current seam and shift and start right. to swing. And yep. when that happened, I just, I, I, I almost just set the hook immediately because I knew I was going to get bit. You know, sometimes it took me two, three, four casts to get that thing right. Um, and that's just how current fishing is. No matter what kind of fish you're trying to target, it's just, it's, there's an art to fishing current. I mean, there's just no other way that I can think of putting it. It's, it's, it's difficult, but when you figure it out, it's easy. I mean, if that makes any sense. Oh, it's perfect. You hit, hit some, the nail on the head too, about feeling your bait change. And I don't care whether you're casting the face of a wing dam to catch a walleye or you're trying to get a bait to drift past a log or a rock. 
if you're using the right equipment, you will know when your bait is in the right zone because you mm -hmm. feel the vibration change. You feel it go from wiggling really hard to not wiggling very much at all or the other way around. And it is magical, like Pat said. When that bait hits the sweet spot, you almost don't have to feel the bite. You know yeah. my bait is in the zone and it's going to get bit. Uh, that national championship tournament I mentioned earlier, day one of that tournament, we caught seven or five walleyes and seven casts because we knew where the spot was. And if your bait landed in the right seam, it took about two and a half seconds and you were setting the hook and reeling another walleye in. And I'm the same way, Pat. River fishing, nine out of ten days, I hate it because you're trying to figure out what to do on the tenth day. And when you figure it out, that tenth day is your favorite day on earth to fish on a river because it, it's it's so hard to break it down. But once you break it down, it becomes so easy to duplicate. Uh, and that's what leads to great days like Pat had. That's that's absolutely incredible. And so, Pat, do you do a lot of note taking or do you just try to keep track in your head mentally right as the days go along was the river falling was the river rising right are you are you making notes on paper do you write it in your phone do you talk to yourself out there because trust me you're 38 now when you get 50 you don't remember as well as you think you do yeah <laughs> so well that's just said like i'm i write i write a lot of stuff down <laughs> i used to but i don't anymore i mean i i got blessed with a couple things and one of them's a really good memory and really good like eyes i can see really good so i take a lot of mental notes and i i don't know i just i've always had a really good memory i'm sure it'll fade at some point um and people ask me that too about that on pickwick because they fluctuate the flow a lot and whenever i said yeah it was flowing really heavy that light well what was the cubic feet or whatever they measured and i'm like i don't know i never looked at that i would go out there and the current would be going and then i would go try to catch them you know i i just that's what i was doing i have no idea what the flow was it was it was heavy i guess it was really really flowing i don't know what the number was but um i probably should take more notes of that but um i don't know i just have my brain works a certain way and i just remember a lot of weird things and that's uh i guess i i think it's a blessing because it's oh, helped me a lot definitely so you talked uh, a little bit about how day one and day two of that tournament were not the easiest uh and most tournament days are not the easiest can you explain to folks what it's like the difference between going out with your buddies and catching six bass in a day and going out fishing for your living now because that's what you're going to be doing and only getting six bites in a day, right? Because on a day off, screwing around with your buddies, six bass in a day is not such a bad day. But when your heart is in your throat and you can't swallow because you haven't got a bite for four hours, six bass in a day can be pretty nerve-wracking can it not <laughs> oh yeah big time i mean it's and that's a lot of that comes with experience and not letting that pressure get to you which it always will at some point but um that's one thing 
as a bass fisherman, I hear all the time, oh, bass are easy to catch. <laughs> Me and Uncle Jerry went out yesterday and caught 20 of them. It was really easy. It's like, okay, well, when you and Uncle Jerry went out, you know, you went to a lake where there you were maybe the only other boat. There's one other boat out there, and you fished for 12 hours, and you didn't have, you know, all that stuff going on in your mind of what you needed to do and what was on the line. You were just out having fun. You know, as a tournament fisherman, you got seven or eight hours. You've got 50, 100, 200 other people out there trying to do the same thing. You can't just pull up on any spot you want to fish because someone else is sitting there. And then maybe you don't catch a bass for the first three hours. Well, then now all of a sudden you only got four hours to catch them. So it's a lot of mental games that happen that are a lot different when you're just out fishing, relaxing, you know, having fun. It's just a whole different, um, whole different mindset, whole different level of mental preparation to be successful. And I talk about that a lot to people. Well, what, you know, what, what makes you, how can you win so many tournaments? Like it's, it's mental, mental preparation and mental toughness are two things that, are just, I wouldn't say overlooked, but underemphasized by a lot of people that are trying to get into the tournament game. You know, they bass fishing, tournament bass fishing is a huge thing now from college, high school. It's just, it's, it's really evolved into a lifelong thing now for a lot of these people. And that's one of the toughest things to learn for these young kids because it took me a long time to get to that point. It's one of the toughest things to learn is mentally being able to handle a tournament day when it's not going the way that you envisioned it. That's just, that's the difference between, in my opinion, the biggest difference between a day of fun fishing and a day of tournament fishing. It's all about mentality. I got to meet Rick Clun probably 20 some years ago and uh, was fortunate enough to eat dinner with him one evening at a, at a media event. And Rick said to me, one time he said, Johnny, you know, it only takes seven minutes to catch a limit of bass in a tournament. And that has stuck in my head so long because if I look on my clock and there's seven minutes left in the tournament day, it doesn't matter if I have a fish in the live well or not. There's mm -hmm. still a chance to fill it up because yeah. it and he's right. You can if you make five casts in a row and catch five bass and don't screw around and throw them in the live well. It takes about seven or eight minutes to catch five bass. Mm -hmm. yeah. And to have that mental toughness that Rick Clun has had for oh, half a century now, it seems like, mm -hmm. yeah. to be able to tell yourself, hey, there's 15 minutes left in the day. I'm still in this derby. Blows me away. But that's what it takes. Uh, uh, it's no different than uh, whether you love him or hate him, a guy like Tom Brady getting the football with 37 seconds left down six points. That guy never doubts that there's enough time to win that oh. football game. And if you're going to be a tournament angler, you need to convince yourself that if there's seven minutes left in this day, I can still put a limit in the live well. And it's really, really hard to stay focused like that, Pat. But uh, obviously with the plaques on your wall behind you there, you've you've done a pretty good <laughs> job. Uh, yeah, I got, I got a few of them. That, you've maintained that mental toughness over the years. And, and uh, hopefully it continues with you into the next level. So... Moving up to the Elite Series, uh, we'll shift gears a little bit now. Uh, 
I'm not going to ask you right out of the gate all those typical questions like what are your expectations and blah, 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 blah. I just want to know what you're going to feel like when you step into the batter's box against Nolan Ryan, right? When, when you, I mean, every little league kid in the world played baseball is like, oh my goodness, wouldn't it be cool to bat against Nolan Ryan? And then you're standing there going, what do I do now? Mm -hmm. uh, have you thought about that yet? Have you thought about walking across the classic stage and looking at guys that we've been watching for years? Have you thought about, I mean, has it set in, I guess is the question, right? You, I always knew you were a good stick, Pat, right? We've known each other a long time, but did you ever dream that you would be sitting in a room with what are there, 43 guys that fished the classic? Is that what it is now? Uh, did you ever think you'd uh, yeah, be? Yeah, I think it's 48 or something. 48, gotcha, gotcha. You know, I, I've always thought about it. I've always dreamt about it. Um, and honestly, now that it's happened, it, I don't think it's set in because I've just been so, so busy doing all this other stuff that I haven't really been able to just be like, man, I'm going to go fish for $300,000 against, you know, less than 50 people in the biggest tournament in the world. It's just, it hasn't really hit me. I don't know when it, it I don't know when it's going to hit me when I really don't know it's, it will, but I, I haven't really had that moment where I've just been in disbelief and, you know, I'm excited about it, but it has, I don't think it's sunk in yet. Gotcha. Was the decision gotcha. to actually commit to this series difficult? Like what, what was it like to say, I'm going to give up my day job and pursue professional fishing as a career? I mean, it was one of those things where, you know, Shields as a company, has i mean the one of the best retirement plans you could ever ask for and i was to the point where you know working there for that long i was starting to see see the potential in that retirement plan and that held me back for a couple years and then it finally got to the point where i was like i I have to do it. I mean, if I don't try to do this right now, I'm not going to do it. And it's, I'm really glad I did do it, but it was not an easy decision. I mean, I always told myself I was going to try to do it by the time I was 30 years old and I didn't do it. And at that point I was like, all right, I'm just not going to do it anymore. I mean, I liked working at the store so much and, I still fish tournaments all over the place. I mean, I fish tournaments all over the country still. Um, but when I, when I made that decision, it was when I walked out of the store that last day, whatever it was, May 21st, I think. And I was now a part-time employee. It, I mean, it was bittersweet, but at the same time I had the whole, weight of the world off my shoulders where I could a hundred percent concentrate on trying to make it. And that's why I think I was so successful this year was I didn't worry about, you know, cause when you got a full-time job and a full-time job that requires a lot of attention and hard work, when you take a vacation to a vacation to go fish a tournament by the third day of that vacation, you're thinking about what you got to do when you get back. And I didn't have that at all. All I was worried about was, 
all right, I'm going to fish dark to dark. I'm going to get up the next day and fish dark to dark and do that every day until the tournament starts. And then when the tournament starts, I'm going to catch as many fish as I can and hopefully do good. That's all I worried about, period. And um, so so it's it was a good decision, but it was not an easy decision because of my relationship with Shields. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that answered the question you asked, but... You know, that it was, was it was a good answer, and I appreciate that. <laughs> so, is is there anything you so, miss about your day job? Well, that's the beauty of it. Is I still work. I pretty much go there and work whenever I want. Now, I mean, I'm still. I mean, I I've worked I think three days in the last five months, but um, I still and I live five minutes from the store, so I'll go in there and I worked yesterday, and I still do the same thing. It's just. I'm not, I don't have to worry about making sure that, you know, I ordered enough hooks for the week, you know, or that I just go in there, hang out, talk to people, sell stuff like I love to do, be in, you know, I love being around tackle and hunting equipment. It's just fun for me to do that. So, um, all the things that I really liked about the job, I still get to do. So I still talk to everybody. I mean, it's, it's, it's the best, it's the best of both worlds for me right now. I'm just at the point in my, I'm just, I've just been really happy with the decision, really happy with how everything's worked out and my stress level is a lot lower. So it's this scenario that I'm in right now is it's like a dream, honestly. I mm-hmm. mean, it's just been awesome. Yeah. I mean, it really sounds like it. You just, you still get to work at Shields. You just do the do the perk and the fun stuff. You don't have to worry about inventory counts. You just show up and, and talk shop well, with the people. Too, the guy who runs their inventory, I mean, he's worked there forever too. I know forever too. I know him really well. And I worked on, I think new year's Eve and new year's day. And he's like, Hey, you want to, you want to help with inventory? And I was like, well, I'm, I would, but I'm going to be in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so darn. It's just like, I don't know. I can't, I can say that now. Whereas before, like you couldn't get out of inventory. It didn't matter. You were going and counting the rubber worms. You were doing that. But mm-hmm. now I just, they're so good to me there. I mean, if I come back for two weeks and I want to work, I'll just message you, Hey, you need any shifts covered? Then yeah, I need these two. Okay. I'll come work. If they don't need anybody, then I don't worry about it. It's, it's, it's great. That's awesome. So when you're, uh, when you're working at the store, are there more people that like, notice you now and want to talk to you about your success yeah quite a few but now that we all are wearing masks i don't i don't <laughs> know that you know everybody recognizes me but yeah because a lot of the people that are following me are people that i met there that i've known i mean you you, you work a job that long you get to know so many people and when i was preparing to go make a run at it you know i was telling all my customers i have a lot of really good customers that i've developed over the years and and uh so i would tell him like hey i'm i'm only be working part-time i'm gonna go you know try to do this fast thing so um and they're some of the people that follow me the most on social media so yeah when they and i don't like tell people when i'm gonna work not that i'm like some superstar because i'm not that by any stretch of the imagination but when people come in and they see me they want me they want to talk about they want to talk about it you know, and I, and I want to talk about it, but I'm not so sure, you know, the managers at the store want me to sit and talk about it for two hours. You know what I mean? So it's, it's one of them things. Yeah. A lot of people come talk to me, but um, a lot of them people are the same people that I've been talking 
like that with for, you know, 15 plus years. Mm -hmm. Is the goal, Pat, to fish for a living from now on? Is, is that your plan? Or haven't you really thought that far in advance yet? I've been thinking about that since I was about 13. So yeah, that's the goal. Um, you know, that's what I want to happen. Now ask me that at the end of this next, this year or next year, will the answer be the same? I don't know. I mean, there's a, still a lot of things, you know, where you don't really know until you do it for a year or two. Maybe I feel different at the end. Of, I don't know. But as of now, I mean, that's, if I could continue to do what I've done this last year, if I could do that the rest of my life, I would be very happy. You know, as and how high, how high do you have to stay in the Elite Series to get the automatic invite to come back the next year? So for us, new the newcomers this year, it's a two-year deal. We're there for two years. Okay. Now, after that is done, they're, they're going to try to cut the field. I can't remember what the last email said, but, you know, I think they might cut 15 anglers at the end of the year. So you have gotcha. to be high enough in points. Um, to stay now what level I don't know if you got to be in 70th place or whatever and then of course they have their magical exemptions too where if someone like Rick Clun doesn't catch a fish right. for the year they'll they'll let him fish because he's you know he's he's right. great for the sport and for for the business side of it so um, I'm just gonna go try to catch as many as I can and just hopefully not have to worry about that. <laughs> have you looked forward at the schedule? And I already know the answer to that because I've watched your social media. Uh, you were just pre-practicing, what, two two lakes in the last couple weeks, right? You were uh, in Florida for a while. And were you in Texas too or not? Well, I did. I went to Texas to practice for the Classic in December, um, which, not you know, now they moved the Classic to June. It was going to be in March. Um so I went to Texas, and then I just got back on this last Saturday. I was in Florida for four or five days and then Tennessee for four or five days um, pre-practicing for these next two tournaments. So, so you're so, obviously yeah, thinking well ahead of the game to get down there and uh, figure things out. And, you know, I don't think the average uh, – even a lot of club anglers don't realize that when you get to that level uh, – you're actually fishing the circuit twice in a year, almost, yeah. because you're going there to get in before the closed period, and then you go back for your three days or two days. I can't remember which it is for you guys, but then you get your practice right before the event. And especially up north, the walleye, most anglers from Wisconsin and north are walleye guys, and the walleye tournaments have never had that closed period. So uh, I think a lot of tournament anglers in the northern part of the country don't understand what 30 days off a body of water means uh, especially if you've never been there before right you're not going to wheel into let's just say Pickwick Lake or or uh, Falcon Lake in Texas or some of these big bass factories Okeechobee in Florida you're not going to pull in there your first time ever fishing the elite series and try to figure that out in two and a half days of practice right before the derby you're going to you're going to get shellacked, right? So you got to put the time in. Uh, so that's how many miles, how many days from home? Have you figured that out yet? How 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 many days are you going to be gone this next coming year to fish the Elite Series? It's a lot. I've got my calendar all laid out. 
Um, and it's, there'll be a stretch where I won't be home for a month straight. Um, so yeah, that's a big adjustment because even like the Bassmaster opens, you know, you can practice up till the day before there's no cutoff. Mm -hmm. So with the elites, that's not how it is. Now, some of these guys that have say fished St. John's river five times, they might be fine going those three days of practice. But for me, I've never been there. I've really only ever been, I've been on Pickwick and I've been on Gunnersville. That's the only two that I fished of everything that we're fishing. So like these pre-practice days, I, I mean, I spent some time fishing. I mean, it was really cold. So, I mean, I, I think I caught, I caught one bass in Tennessee in four days and I caught eight, I think eight in Florida in four days of fishing, but it was more about driving around and seeing areas, knowing how to navigate, trying to make some predictions of where the fish might be going because a lot of the stuff you would figure out right now wouldn't necessarily play anyways in a month. So it's more about just getting familiar with the water and some of the places like say the Sabine river, that's going to be more just learning how to navigate, you know, how do you run to one, one place to the other? Uh, that's all stuff that if you know how to do that before the official practice days, you know, where I go down there in pre-practice and I idle for three miles to make sure I can run a canal. Well, now I don't have to do that in practice. I can just run it. So that that's the stuff that the pre-practice for me is more important is just knowing how to get around the water and knowing how the lake sets up to where if I figure something out over here, well, I know that's over here too. So I can, you know, put together stuff a little bit better. That's the goal anyways. Do you spend a significant amount of time looking at maps before you even pre-fish them? Yeah, I look at maps some. Um, Google Earth a fair amount. Um, but a lot of it's just, yeah, I get out on the water and just drive around. and Yeah, mark I mark a lot of stuff on the locator, but uh, and 90% of it will probably never get fished. But... Um, I don't do as much map study as a lot of people, I guess. I mean, I do, but it's not like I sit there for a day and three days and just look at the map. I, I don't know. I've never really done that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to, you know, get there and have your have your navigation down, know what's close, what's far away, at what places to avoid and stuff like that. But, you know, when it comes down to actual fishing time, you just kind of really have to be there and see what they're doing. Yeah, and, be, yeah, and say like weather changes too tournament. are more of a factor. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you just don't know what what's going to happen in that month off. So there's, I just don't. I, I'm not going to spend three days trying to figure out how to catch them a month before the tournament. You know, if I can find where they're at, I I can figure out how to catch them most of the time. So those three days of practice, now that I think about the St. John's, like now that I've gone there and driven a lot of it, you know, in my mind, if that water warms up six, seven, eight degrees, they should be here. If it doesn't, then they might be here. You know, that's all going on in my mind. It has been since I've been driving home. So um, that's what to me is important about pre-practice, just getting the wheels turning of what could potentially happen. How big of a role does uh, technology and your marine electronics play in the pre-practice stuff? You mentioned marking a lot of stuff. Uh, I, I know what I do when I'm on a brand new body of water and 
as a professional fisherman, this is going to sound crazy, but that first day or two on the water, I don't need a rod in my boat. I really mm -hmm. don't because I'm probably not going to mm -hmm. pick it up anyways. I will literally spend, I don't know if I'll go dark to dark without making a cast or two, but I can go eight hours in my boat pretty easy without ever reaching in the rod locker for a, a rod and reel. Uh, are you doing that too? Are you driving around looking at your side imaging, down imaging, marking the weed edges, the rock piles, the, the, the lay downs, all those kind of things. Is, is that what you're trying to accomplish? Yeah, that's a big, I mean, I'm a big electronics guy. Like I, around here, everywhere I go, like if, yeah, I, I spend a lot of time side imaging and looking for, you know, whatever it is that might be different where I think, you know, there might be a fish there and, you know, and I have a system where I mark a stump a certain way. I'll mark a, you know, a rock pile a certain way. I'll mark a weed bed a certain way. I'll mark a shell bed a certain way. So then when I come back, you know, I know what I marked because at the time when you mark something, like, I remember, I'll remember what that is, yeah, but right. then a hundred waypoints later, you know, you don't. So yeah, electronics is a huge part of what I'm doing. You know, like Tennessee River, I mean, that's that's what I did in practice was, I mean, I fished some, but I mainly drove or just mark, mark stuff. That's what I did. So, um, and I that's what I do around here. I mean, people say that to me all the time. Me and, and my the guy I fish with all the time, they're like, well, how many fish did you catch in practice? Be like, I don't know, we only took about 10 casts. Well, why would you do that? Like, well, because, you know, we want to catch them in the tournament and we – you know, we know what we're looking for. And if we find it, we're going to catch them, you know, up here. That's how it is. Not necessarily where I just was, but, um, that's been a big part of my success for the last several years is electronics. So, uh, look into your schedule this year. Do you have a spot that you can't wait to get to? Do you have a lake picked out that you're just like drooling to go fish somewhere you've never been and, finally are going to get the opportunity to go lake fork for sure yep, is that I never, I, size of fish that are there is that why you're yeah yeah lake fork is one of the best big bass lakes in the world i mean i think they got to be tw over tw 24 inches or something to even keep you know it's like a tro trophy lake so um i've always wanted to fish it i've never fished it so um yeah i'm really pumped to go, to go to go fish that one is i like i haven't caught a 10 pounder for a long time so i really want to catch another one which place on the schedule do you wish wasn't on the schedule <laughs> um i'm a little intimidated by the sabine river just because it's it's on the border of i think texas and louisiana and there's some weird weird rules about fishing in parts of louisiana where it's private water if someone owns i'm i just don't like not know you know if you go into a canal and fish it it, it, it might get you disqualified because it's private water it, there's some weird rules down there and it's so expansive i mean it's not like it's a huge huge lake it's just a white you know there's lakes on it but it's just windy rivers and canals and historically it's a really tough fishery. It's just, it's not somewhere you're going to go and catch, catch a bunch of, you know, bunch of fish. You know, if you catch a limit each day, that's really, really good. So 
that's the one where I saw that and I'm like, uh, I don't know about that one, but, um, but who knows, maybe I'll go there and like it. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, one thing about tournament angling, we don't get to pick the schedule. And if you tell yourself ahead of time that you're not going to like a place, then you can pretty much put an X through it. Right. Because your mind's not set the right. Uh, I've tried that over the years when I look at the schedule, all I use it for is to know where I need to get a place to sleep. Uh, I try not to look at the name of the body of water when I'm doing my maps. Study. I try not to look at the name of the body of water when I'm thinking about how people catch fish there, right? Uh, it's real easy to get caught up. In an, and I'm sure you do this a little bit because all tournament anglers do. But you look back at the history of Lake Fork, right? Ten-inch big worms and this and that and the other. Well, who's to say they won't eat a DT-10 or they won't eat yeah. a chatterbait? Or, but when you look at the name of a lake, that automatically puts your head somewhere it may not want to go, right? So look at the yeah. name of the lake. I book my room, and I just say, you know what? It's just water, and wall for me, walleye or walleye for you, bass or bass, and I'm gonna go fish the way I think I should fish, not the way the fishing hotspot smells me I should fish, right? Uh, yeah. Could you expand on that, right? How many times have you gone to a lake and done it the air quote wrong way but still caught a limit fish right yeah that happens a lot you know you watch you know youtube videos and read articles and you gotta throw this bait you gotta fish this type of cover and this doesn't work and you can only win doing this and it's you know or there's all the doc talk of well if you don't catch 20 some 23 pounds a day you might as well not even be there you know all that stuff it's like no well you just got to go out there and fish like you said fish the way you like to fish and a bass is going to eat you know a, a lot of different things i think back to when i first started fishing sturgeon bay for smallmouth my friend and i went down and fished in this north american bass circuit it is a pretty good sized tournament and when we were researching to go down there they're like Everything's like, the only way you can catch them is on a hair jig. Little marabou hair jig, which we had never thrown. We didn't know what it was. We were like, so we're trying to tie up all this stuff and, you know, figuring out what we're trying to, you know, buy rods and reels to fish the stuff. And we went down there and we tried fishing that stupid thing for like three days. And we couldn't catch them. And if I looked at Justin, I'm like, why would these fish not eat a jerk bait like every other smallmouth I've tried to fish in my life in 52 degree water? picked up a jerk bait and started catching them. We're just like, we're so stupid. And that's like, from that time on, I'm just like, no, a smallmouth is going to eat a jerk bait. It's going to eat a tube. It's going to eat a drop shot. It's going to eat a swim bait. Yeah. It'll eat a hair jig too, but that's not the only thing it'll eat. So yeah, you can't get caught up in that, what you're supposed to do because you might spend like we did three days trying to do what you're supposed to do and not catch a fish. So do what you like to do, catch them the way you want to catch them. If that's not working, then maybe try to do some oddball stuff that you don't usually do. I would agree. It's real easy to get caught up in what other people say. And uh, that's kind of, uh, there's been some changes in the walleye game this coming year where we have similar rules to you guys, where we have an off limits period, we have a no information period. And I think that changes the mindset a little bit, right? When you're not allowed to pick up the phone and call 
three of your buddies that have fished a certain lake forever. Now all you've got is in your own head. Uh, I think that changes it. I'm really looking forward to that in my personal life because I hate gossip. And that's the best word for it. Gossip, yeah. drama, whatever. Yeah. Pat, I think if you and I bought video cameras, we could put the best reality TV show together <laughs> on Earth with all the drama that happens before a fishing tournament, right? My standard line is at the clock on day one, crap stops because no one can lie anymore. The, the scale tells the truth and all the garbage goes away after the first day weigh in. But, oh, my goodness. I've heard same as you, right? Oh man, if you're not catching 30 pounds of walleye, you might as well put it on a trailer and go home. And the day one leader has 17 pounds. It's like, all right, yeah. where's your 30 pounds at, guys? What mm-hmm. what happened, yeah. right? So, yeah, you you got to tone that out. Put blinders on. Put earplugs in. Do whatever you can to not get caught up in the doc talk and all the drama and the gossip that goes on. But it is uh, pretty entertaining if you were a just a spectator. To, to all that people say to each other before a fishing tournament. And I don't know about you, Pat, but I think some of that is on purpose. I think there's guys that are really, really good at getting other people's heads. I really do. Uh, I could name a bunch while the game. I'm sure you can name a bunch in your game, but uh, it, it is part of the gamesmanship, right? Smack talk or whatever. Uh, and I just try to stay away from as much of that as I can. Yeah, I agree. I do too. I mean, you hear it a lot. Honestly, now I I'm like one of them spectators where I I like I like like it when you hear people talking stupid sometimes, and you see the guys that are like listening to it and it's messing with them. I just kind of sit back and kind of laugh because it's just like whatever, you know. To me, it's like you know those guys that, and I tell this to a lot of young people and just people that ask me about tournament fishing in general, like. You know, all these guys that say they're catching, you know, like in the bass world, say, say 20 pounds a day, right? That's a big, that's a good bag anywhere you go. That's going to win a lot of tournaments. And then you sit there and say, well, I've fished here for four days and I've only caught one four pound fish and this guy's catching four a day. I'm doing something wrong. It's like, I always tell people, you can't, I mean, that's your goal. You're going out there and you're trying to figure out how to catch the biggest fish you can find. If what you figured out how to catch is three pounders well what would you how could you not you're trying to catch four pounders but you're catching three pounders you can't magically make them four pounders so if you go out and you fish hard and you concentrate on catching the fish that you found i guarantee you you're you're gonna do a lot better than what those people that are talking like that are gonna do most of the time or you're gonna do better than what they're trying to think you are gonna do so yeah, it's, it's, and it's hard to, to overcome that when you hear all them people talking about all those big fish they're catching. So it's, right. I don't know. It's, it's a part of the game, though. The other thing, Pat, and, and can't speak for bass tournaments, so that'll be your follow up to what I want to discuss here. But I have come to the conclusion that, yes, limits big fish are guaranteed ways to win tournaments. But limits of any size fish are great ways to cash checks and make it to the next stop. Uh, Granted, some bodies of water, like you said, Lake Fork, maybe you do need five really giant fish. But let's face it, man, most bodies of water, 
especially multi-day terms. I'm not talking about the one-day Saturday shootout at your local fishing club. But if you're fishing a two, three, even a four-day event, putting five in the live by three o'clock in the afternoon, four days in a row, is usually going to keep you on the right side of good in a fishing tournament. You don't have to go out there and catch five trophy bass or five trophy walleyes every day to do well in a derby, do you? No, I, you know, and I just had this conversation with Jay Shakur at, I mean, you know, Jason Shakur at, well, his kid, um, Jay is really, yeah, he's a really good bass fisher. He won another, yeah, and he's a good guy. And I've talked to him a decent amount and he's fishing the opens next year as a boater to try to make it to the elites. He fished as a non-boater this year and he won an event. He won an event as a non-boater two years in a row. And he was messaging me back and forth and, and he's like, I just hope I catch big enough fish. I'm like, Jay, you go out and you catch five fish every day in each tournament. You're probably going to make, you're probably going to make the elites or have a really, Oh, you think so? No way. I said, just trust me. Just go out and catch a limit every day, and you're gonna be you're gonna have a really good chance of, of making it. You know, everybody wants to worry about catching five big ones, but yeah, we all want to catch five big ones. But you know, catching five is good because not many people can do that. You know, every day of every tournament, that is that will cash you a lot of checks, and that will get you a lot farther than catching five big ones one day. You know, it's just, it's, it'll go, it'll get you a long ways. I've been fishing competitively for a living for 28 years and I have kept track and I have yet to make it a where I caught a limit every day in every tournament I fished. That's how hard it is to do. I've had 28 shots to catch five walleyes a day, every day for a year. And I have not been able to do it yet haven't and you would think to yourself are you kidding me right look at that tournament list it's the greatest bodies of water on earth just like you guys in the bass world there's eight nine ten tournaments in a circuit and they're all household names if you're a bass fisherman right dream lakes and you look at the end of the year how many anglers catch five every day for an entire season it doesn't happen very often they're hard to catch yeah, mm-hmm. They're not so hard to catch. They're hard to find. I'm going to say they're really hard to find. When you yeah. find them, like you said, some are usually pretty easy to catch. But, man, big bodies of water, lots of spots, lots of boats, five in a day. Ugh, sounds easy. Like I said, every armchair quarterback knows what played on fourth and one, too, right, on a football <laughs> game. But, man, get out there and do it. Get out there and do it every day and tell me how hard it is to catch fish in a day it's not that simple it It isn't simple not at all well that has just been so much incredible advice like (laughs) you you guys made my job super easy here you know i'm just gonna sit back and listen to the absolute countless hours of fishing and thinking about fishing that is that has gone on in these two brains and just the amount of Appliable knowledge is is really cool, and just both of you guys have had some had some really great stories and great backgrounds. Um, for those people that want to reach out to you, have questions, 
Uh, can you guys, can you let us know how, how they can reach you? Yeah, mine, I, I've got Instagram and Facebook, uh, Pat Schlopper fishing on each one. Um, yeah, people message me all the time. I, I love getting messages from people and, um, yeah, shoot me a message. I'm glad to help you out any way I can. Perfect. Johnny. Yeah. And, uh, I'm available. On, I'm available on all the social media platforms. The easiest way to figure out how to reach me is go to my website, johnnycandle.com, and I have a contact button that lists a link that you can click on if, you, if you're a Facebook guy, an Instagram guy, a Twitter guy, a who knows. I don't know. I, I get confused. Swipe right, swipe left. I, I try not to play any of those games. Just click on the link, and uh, you can send me a message through any any social media platform you want to. All right, perfect. And uh, you know, hopefully, this segment got a lot of people jacked about getting into a boat, doing some more fishing. So, uh, I'd like one last closing piece of advice from from each of you to those to those people that are really excited to get in a boat now. What do you got? Well, for me, I guess for a piece of advice for an aspiring tournament angler anyways is to not rush into it. Work your way into it. Take the proper steps. Um, start at a club. Work your way up. Learn as many techniques as you can to prepare for the next level. And uh, don't just jump right into it at the highest level. You know, start out and work your way up and you'll you'll know in your heart when it's right to take the next step that's someone told me that one time and it, it's it's stuck with me so um that's my advice great advice how about you john i'm gonna say my advice my advice would be never take no for an answer uh i started out a little different path than pat uh, I did get a college degree. I graduated at age 23. I had played around with some tournaments at school kid, but I wouldn't say I was good at it. And I just said, you know what? For a living. So I jumped in and I did it. And I had so many people tell me, wrong place, or you'll never make it, or boy, you should have a better truck or a better boat, or you should have better equipment, or right? And I cannot wait for the day I get to stand in front of all of them and say, look at me now, because I didn't take no for an answer. Was it easy getting from age 23 to age 50, eating ramen noodles well into my 30s, <laughs> right? That's not what the plan was. I was supposed to go win tournaments and eat ribeye aches, but I found a way to it. It was sleeping in the back of my pick truck at tournaments or finding buddies to split hotel rooms with or skimping on a meal in order to buy bait or fishing line but i was not gonna let anyone tell me i couldn't do it and i learned a lot of lessons along the way those lessons pat and i both shared how to avoid those pitfalls in this little chat but i didn't say no i followed a dream and you look at a guy like Platt, who was in this with us and he did the same there were a lot of times that pat could have said you know what Working at Shields 60 hours a week, pretty dang, it comes with a good retirement. Or I'm going to follow this path and do this, or I'm going to follow this path. But he had a dream, and he wasn't going to take no. Uh, fishing is great 
in a regard from football, basketball, baseball, right? Pat, we don't have to run the 40-yard dash in 4.6 seconds to play professional fishing, right? So physically limiting. If you have a desire and you want to make it happen, you can make it happen and don't let anybody, and I mean anybody, even the people closest to you in your life, don't let anybody tell you you can't do it because I think Pat and I are both living proof that anybody that wants it bad enough can go out there and make it happen. Just work your butt off and don't take for an answer. Mm-hmm. That's some great advice. So, you know, just thank you guys. Thank you so much for, for your time with us today, all your, all your knowledge. And we, we truly appreciate uh, that you're with us as pro staff here at Shields. Well, thank, thank you, you yeah, much for having fun. us, Pat. Knock them dead. I'll be following you. Yep. Sounds good. I'm going to try to try not to let you down. <laughs> All right. Well, you won't. best, best of luck in that tournament series. We're going to be rooting for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.